had something. Oh? I had something for this. Yeah? How'd it go? Yeah? Um, I've forgotten it. Oh. I had a bit. So, pretty typical then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know me, I like to come in with a little bit of a bit just to lightheartedly ease us into the, if I'm perfectly honest, grey day uh, video game chat. Um, but I swear I had something. Um, I mean, look, some, sometimes we have things, sometimes we sometimes lose those we things. Don't. ADHD is great. <laughs> some, yeah, sometimes it's just over for me. Um, <laughs> something, something, tease the cornflake homunculus, something, something. Um, yeah. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I ain't got We're nothing. Here. I ain't got fucking nothing. And I know this what? isn't the first time I've started this podcast by saying <laughs> I ain't got fucking nothing. Well. I mean, we got we got something. You know what we got? What have we got? Video games. No! Inquisition. No! I'm sneaking in. I've got them. It's video games. You no! can't stop me. I'm bringing them in. Wow. Oh, God, I don't want to breathe them in. It chokes. It cloys. It's, it's less than a minute and I mentioned video games exist. You can't stop me. Well, I've got to, to keep up fair, the facade that I hate them. To be fair, Steph did beat you to the punch. On the referencing video games, Steph laid out the premise of the podcast within like a minute and a half. <laughs> true. I mean, yeah, Steph, you did bring up that 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 eventually we were going to get to video games. That is true. So what is I... happening? The world's gone topsy fucking turvy. Am oh, I God, the only know... one that remembers what this podcast is? <laughs> <laughs> the topsiness of the turviness is at a breaking point, folks. I mean. Comrade, if you remember what this podcast is, let us know, because apparently we don't remember. (laughs) Who are you two? What are you doing in my house? Well, I I don't have a house of my own. (laughs) Now, Jonathan, hear me out. Wait, what's going on? Welcome to Podquisition, everyone. Welcome to, yeah, uh, Destructoid's number one podcast, Podquisition. (laughs) On the next episode of The Electric Hydra, um, we are going to have... Conrad from Fist Shark Marketing. What the fuck is going on? Uh, so, look, I'm going to wrangle us to video games because this might be the most video games I've ever brought to one episode You've of Podquisition. A in a list. list. I've, oh, I brought a big fucking sake. list. Like, I, Usually I'm like, who wants to start talking about video games they've played? But I played a fucking lot of video games this week. Oh shit, I hadn't scrolled. Oh yeah, you've oh, not yeah. seen Damn. the list. Have you seen that? It's the Dead Sea Scrolls of what I have played this week. <laughs> well, I feel a whole lot better about uh, not having played anything. Let's go. I right mean, look, I'm way. gonna. Tr- a lot of these, I'm gonna like fucking waffle through. But I got sent one of them PSVR two, PS five VR headsets last week, like just after we recorded oh, Composition. Oh, aren't we? Fancy? I know, aren't we fancy? Thank you, PlayStation, for thinking I'm relevant. I'd say um, must be nice, but. <laughs> I've eh. worn VR headsets, and to be honest, they make me fucking sick, like proper queasy. So, um, yeah, I'm going to let you have uh, have the floor with no complaints. I'm usually in that camp, and with a couple of like very little exceptions, I've spent the better part of like four or five days in this VR headset and had very minimal motion sickness. I'm kind of impressed. That is good. In fairness, the first PSVR, there were a fair few games I didn't feel sick on. That horror yeah. game that they had was that made me feel wretched. <laughs> yeah. But the um, 
what's it the footbally the robot footbally one oh a lot yeah. of people said that knocked him sick but i was actually all right with that one but anyway yeah. anyway psvr yeah. 2 you say psvr 2 yeah so i'm just gonna get out out the door the big thing you need to know about this up front mm-hmm. this thing is expensive it is over 500 quid it is more expensive than the ps5 that runs it and like the the original psvr i think a lot of people picked up because it was at the time the affordable entry point to vr because like it you know it, it it was on a ps4 that like a lot of people already owned and at like 300 quid was expensive but it was you weren't going to find a cheaper device to run a vr headset and vr headset combo anywhere else at the time and they had a massive install base already yeah exactly whereas this is not the situation this thing is launching in this is 500 quid which is like right in the middle of the vr space price wise like it's not up with like the vive pros and the really expensive high-end pc ones it's definitely more expensive than say a standalone um oculus quest 2 or something but the hardware is really nice. Like, it is pricey. It is not a thing I would have spent money on myself. Like, I, I would have felt able to justify. Uh, but it's got really nice uh, 4K display, OLED, HDR. Like, everything looks really fucking nice in there. Um, it is comfortable to wear and has a lot of good stuff for adjusting to, like, make sure you've put it on your head right so it's it's looking good. Uh, the the setup's really nice. It's just plug a USB C in the front of the console and it just works. I appreciate that. It's got rumble in the headset, which is fucking weird the first few times it happens. It's it takes some adjustment, being like, ah, oh, fucking cl- crow flew over my head and I felt a, a rush <laughs> vibrating from front to back. Uh, it's not like the original PSVR that had like a camera on your TV that you had to be facing. This one has a bunch of cameras in. The headset itself. It is much better at like keeping track of its position and the position of the controllers, even if you like turn away from the TV. Wait, that the cameras good. are in the headset. Yeah, they're Have in you the any headset, idea face, facing how, out into the room. How fucking careful Oh. Oh, in the right. I thought they were putting inwards like fucking Tony well, Stark. I mean, to, like, I mean they kind spend of is. hours on every selfie I take, Laura. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of our cameras inside oh, pointing at you. We'll get to fun. those in a minute. Can't have fun. Um but yeah, it like you put the headset on, you set it up, you like look around the room, and it puts like a fucking wire wireframe mesh around your room to work out where is safe to play. Um, the most interesting bit, the tech in this, and the thing that like actually feels like I've played a lot of VR headsets. This is the the feature that feels like it sets this one apart. It's got eye tracking. Basically, the headset can track where you're looking and. Yeah. Most of the games use this for something... Uh, I'm going to throw out a fucking uh, PR buzzword here. The, the buzzword is foveated rendering. What? Ooh. Basically, games will make where you are looking higher resolution and places you're not looking at lower resolution in real time. So that what you're, like, all of the processing power is going on what you're actually looking at. And anything that is, like, in your periphery that's, like, going to be blurry anyway, they just fucking blur that. I was impressed at how resistant to being tricked that was. I I fucking darted my eyes around being like, I'm going to see the bit where it's not high res because I'm moving around too fast. No, it, in practice, in the headset, couldn't fucking tell it was doing it. So that that did its job. But the first game I want to talk about that, like, for me, is the, the only game in this that really 
feels like it made use of this headset specifically, is Res Infinite. So you're aware of, Re- of, of Res? You're aware of Res Infinite? You're a wireframe person shooting down a bunch Res. of ships and yeah. stuff. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. That that's the game. That yeah, you know that yeah. Yeah, this tracks. Yeah, no surprises. There is a control scheme for Res Infinite with this headset where you hold down X to like you know be like oh, I want to start targeting stuff and you let go to fire your missiles. There is a mode that lets you use eye tracking to target enemies. You just look at an enemy and the targeting lock on locks onto it. That's impressive. That. That feels fucking magical. Um, I was able to play through, like, basically other than the boss fights, almost that, like, that entire game with my head perfectly stationary, just flicking my eyes around. Occasionally bosses would, like, fly to the side of me, and I'd have to turn my head. The game was practically, like, completely controllable just to flicking my eyes around. Felt like a fucking wizard. Like, that is the one game of, like, the many games I'm going to rattle through today where I'm like, this felt like it did something unique to this headset that genuinely felt like it added to the experience and I couldn't have just got... A lot of the games I'm going to talk about today, I felt like I was playing... I could have been playing this in, like, the the Oculus Quest 2, but in higher resolution. And, like, it's granted, it's nice having higher resolution, better screens, but getting to flick your eyes at things and, like, that's that's how you target stuff, that felt fucking cool. Nice. Anyway, let's. R- I'm going to rattle through a bunch of games that did not at all feel like they needed this headset, but it is like it's a nice looking headset. Um, the big launch title, like the big first party launch title, is Horizon Call of the Mountain. It is a spin off in the Horizon Zero Dawn world. Um, couple things I'll say about it. I usually feel really motion sick in video games that require me to move around with an analog stick in VR. This, I really didn't. I I don't know what combination of things they did, but I was able to walk around for a couple of hours in that game using an analog stick. Didn't feel ill. That's pretty, that was pretty impressive. The structure of the game... Uh, it is a game that is, I'm going to say, about 80% climbing mountains. It is about 80% a rock climbing simulator. And it's not to say that the rock climbing mechanics aren't good and that you don't have very beautiful vistas to look at while you're rock climbing, but I would have happily taken a game that was shorter uh, and had less rock climbing and I'd have gone better game. (laughs) Um, The combat in it, very few and far between, but is really fun. The bow and arrow uh, combat feels really satisfying. Uh, They've done some very smart stuff when you're in combat environments of... Rather than moving in real time with the analog sticks, you're flicking an analog stick to just, like, strafe out the way of shots. It keeps things pacey uh, and keeps you locked on the enemy in combat. I wish there was more combat. Give me, like, a fucking arena mode where I could just fight a bunch of cool big dinosaur dinosaur robots with, with bow and arrow for a while. I'd really enjoy it. As it is, visual spectacle, but, like... I, f- I feel like I need to give it the IGN Too Much Water review. It's it's too cool of the mountain, too much climbing. Uh, I'm going to rattle through a few more of these, and then I will throw the ball to one of you. Mm-hmm. Um, what the Bat? I have played this previously in other VR headsets. I really like this game. It is from the developers of What the Golf. It is a silly minigame collection where you are a young girl with bats for hands. Go through life with bats for hands in silly scenarios, be it... I'm trying to put toast in the toaster, but I can't grip onto the toast because I've got bats for hands. I'm trying to make coffee for cats at a little cafe, but i got bats for hands. 
It's silly, it's sweet, it is, I think, the only room scale, like, you have to be standing and moving around game that I played in the launch lineup. I enjoy it a lot, and I think it is well worth playing, but doesn't necessarily need to be on this headset specifically. If you've got access to it somewhere, it's fun. Um, Thumper. You've both played Thumper before, I'm guessing. Oh, yes. Thumper continues to be a fucking good game in VR. It took a little adjustment. Uh, For anyone who's never played Thumper, it's a music rhythm game where you're a metallic beetle on a Hot Wheels track, dramatically turning corners while, like, evil spooky skulls loom at you. The main thing specific to PSVR that I would say about it is it uses a lot of headset rumble, and it's it's fun once you get used to it, but it is one of the more intense places to start with. My head is vibrating, and that's weird. Tetris Effect Connected. It is a very beautiful Tetris game that has a bunch of like beautiful visuals going on around you and lovely music, and everything's in time with the in time with the music. That game continues to be fantastic. This headset's quality is high enough that I kept finding myself blinking because little things were floating in the air and I thought they were going to get in my eyes. So, like, it is a high-quality screen, I guess? That's, like, a portion of the list. One of you talk about a game. What have you played this week? May I just quickly get yeah. my gushing about theatre rhythm out? Oh, hell yeah, go! Fucking addicted to it, mate. It's... Oh, God. Um, Now, look, I hate Square Enix as much as the next girl. I have done four or five episodes already this year bagging on Square Enix. But when they have a win, they have a fucking win. And I've already talked on a prior episode about uh, getting back into the 3DS theatre rhythm. And it's the first game in a while, this new one, uh, Final Bar Line, that I've been genuinely excited for. I don't get excited for games very often. Um, Mm. Almost never. It doesn't mean I'm not looking forward to them, but this sort of, oh, giddy, can't wait to play. But I'd already played a ton of the demo, and I knew it was good. And yeah, the full one, it's just, it's taken up so much of my time. Especially lately, I've, I've just had a lot of shit going on in my life, like real, like personal stuff. And being able to switch off and play that has been brilliant. And it's got like 385 songs in it. Yeah, it's got like three fucking season passes coming of game uh, songs from other game series, which sucks. But I've got to admit that the base package is, I mean, I haven't stopped playing it since it came out. And I've been playing it all day some days. I love it. Going from the stylus to the buttons was an adjustment. It was a bit intimidating. But once I worked out the, just the, the most comfortable way to... Buttons aren't tied to the commands, the triggers um, that you hit. So I found using the triggers, the actual controller triggers for the the one button presses and then the analog sticks for the things where you follow a track. I found that worked best. Um, yeah, I, I really like it. I got really into party building this time because that's one of the conceits is you've got this fairly straightforward but satisfying rhythm game and then... You go into each stage with a party of four Final Fantasy characters that automatically battle as you successfully hit triggers. And chaining together certain triggers or getting certain amounts will allow for your party members to pull off certain skills, like certain spells or abilities, stuff like that. This particular game has like not just most of the main party members of every Final Fantasy game, but a lot of the villains as well, which is just cool. So there is like 
tons and tons of characters. And now I've got this nice little party going of Kuja and X-Death and Golbez and Rinoa. Just all the main villains, you know? Um, Hmm. And it's really good. Like, especially... Like, it's not the most efficient party, but I've gotten really into that kind of tweaking. Because you can really tweak it. Because, you know, Kuja has an ability that, when you meet a boss, amplifies the magical power of everyone in the party. So it's like, right, load it up with other characters that do spells. But then Golbez can have an ability called In Thunder that makes all the thunder magic uh, more powerful. So then it's like, okay, get the magic uh, characters in but then get ones with thunder in so they can take advantage of that. It's just little things like that. You can, of course, just pick four of your favourite characters and go into a stage with them. That's fine. But I've genuinely gotten me. Stephanie Sterling has gotten into micromanagement. That's weird. And I think just a kind of a a, a good endorsement of the game, tinkering with with all of uh, the different skills. It is a bit of a shame that the optimization button uh, that sort of puts on the best skills will replace anything that isn't combat oriented because the characters are split into different types. You've got magic types, physical types, defenders, and they roll, you know, the abilities and stats they have are kind of straightforward. You've got hunter types whose thing is getting loot. So they can make more treasure chests drop from the enemies you beat or get summon stones, which you equip one of those, you get uh, one of the main Final Fantasy summons and also some passive abilities as well. But they will get replaced with attacks if you optimize, which is a bit of a pisser. I used to just optimize, but I've taken to manually tweaking everything now. Uh, I also really like the multiplayer, which is, you know, it's just score attack. Four people play the same song, whoever gets the most wins. That's good because you get everyone else's, you can attach a summon stone to your profile card. And then if you do a multiplayer game, everyone gets everyone else's. So that's really neat. I really like that. Um, There's a bunch of cards that you can collect, uh, like digital trading cards. A bunch of those have stat boosts for the characters that are portrayed on them. If you win a multiplayer, you get first pick of four of the cards. So that's uh, the incentive to win there. I, I just fucking love it. It looks great. It sounds great. Obviously, it's, it's Final Fantasy music, so in my personal opinion, it's got a great soundtrack. Um, yeah, just can't stop playing it, and it's been really useful these past few days where I've really needed to distract myself. Yeah, there's a review up for it on thegymquisition.com. For the people who are like, you don't like any games, you should stop reviewing because you hate them all. <laughs> like, go read that one. I couldn't be more fucking complimentary. Good fucking game. Uh, that's Yay. about all. Yeah, like just so good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're feeling so, so positive about a game. Oh Hooray. yeah, that's it's always nice. nice. Uh, what about you, Conrad? What you played this week? Um, you played anything? I have played. I mean, the the biggest video game related thing I've played is m- go through all of your fucking video games and decide which ones are worth the effort to move to another home. <laughs> like, um, right. which is, you know, um, 
it's interesting because I'm I, I'm I'm having to move. My landlord has asked me to vacate his old apartment, and so but I, I found a place. It's all worked out. I'm I'm moving in the next couple of days. Uh, that's all I'm fine. So glad. Yeah, it it really worked out. And and actually, I really want to thank because um, I I know that there are people listening to this. Uh, I I really want to thank the people in our online community and people who follow me and follow us. Um, I asked for some help because. This is a, a pretty sudden thing, and you know, first last month rent. It, it's yeah, a, an incredible expense to move, and um, there's been a real outpouring of of support, and I we really really appreciate it. We we'd be up in some shit, but um, I was looking through my collection of games, which is, I mean, it's not you know, you see these people on YouTube and so forth that have these, like, basements full of shit that's just, like, shelves and shelves. I have a, a closet and a half, right? I have a couple of good-sized boxes that have a pretty solid collection of consoles going back to the 80s, you know? Uh, I've got a ColecoVision in there. There's a you know the NES, the SNES, the Genesis. The I, I don't have a Master System, but I do have the the Mega Drive adapter. You know, so you know I, I've got the and then the games, the games are all boxed up too because I'm anal retentive, and they have to be organized. Everything's alphabetized, separated in these boxes by console. You know, I've got boxes that are the perfect size to hold NES cartridges. Like, it's it's stupid. But it's also not displayed anywhere. Like, the only... They just exist in my house. Yeah. I, I don't... Yeah. I don't use them in any way. I'm sure that there are other people in the world who would use them. But... It's hard to let go of it in a weird way, and mm-hmm. not just because I have some sort of sentimental attachment to it. For me, for the most part, it is about the game itself, which is broadly accessible, you know, almost invariably. Um, there are a few things that I would want the physical copy because there is some, you know, major sentimental attachment to it. Like my, you know, Genesis copy of Toe Jam and Earl. That's never leaving my side. But most of this is just stuff I've collected. But it has value. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and as much as I hate Another aspect, I guess, of the fact that there is a collector market that has sprung up around all of this is that now I know that there is value in it. And then that means that now my my brain has to go into the, I mean, I don't need to maximize value, but I, I you know, I need I do need money for things. <laughs> and then it becomes the whole thing. OK, well, now I got to do all this research to figure out what these things are worth before I try to sell them. And it's hundreds of games. Neatly boxed and packaged, but hundreds. And then you got to list it all. And so, uh, yeah, it's just all going to go with me and go into a new closet again. Um, 
Yeah. Where it will sit for years and I'll forget about it. Uh, or decide it's not worth dealing with. Yeah. I'm glad you found a new place, though. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, yeah. It's very much like the old place, although there is a much uh, larger outdoor space because mm-hmm. it has a shared courtyard with other buildings on the block. I will hopefully have a lot more space for plants and much better light uh, than what I was getting on my little patio. So I'm really excited about like doing more gardening this next year. Awesome. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. Otherwise, I've tootled around in in my factory and I have nothing to say about it. (laughs) I still have ten fucking video games to talk about today, so I'm going to try and grab some more. It's fine. Some of them I can give you like two sentences and be done, such as Townsman VR. It is a uh, it's a sort of city building god game where you're you're, you know controlling a bunch of little townspeople and whatnot. I can't tell you any more about it because I can't fucking work out how to get the main menu to appear so I can start the fucking game. Oh boy! I can zoom in and zoom out by putting my arms closer together or further apart. The menu keeps appearing for like half a second and then vanishing, and I press every button on the fucking controller. I've done motions. Can't work out how to start the game. So that's Townsman VR. Ah. Tales from the Galaxy's Edge Enhanced Edition. This is a Star Wars game. Uh, I like a lot of what it's trying to do, like, uh, in terms of visual presentation and storytelling style. It is not a well-explained game. It doesn't do a great job of selling itself in its opening hour or so. Um, there is a lot of tutorials that don't properly explain how to do things and leave you fumbling around trying to work out how to do things. Uh, it's one of those games that, much like Resident Evil 4 VR, insists on having your inventory physically on your virtual body, which has a bunch of problems. It doesn't account for people that have tits, uh, again. The game has an option to play it seated, but the uh, location of some of your items you have to get off of your your belt are, like, for me, they were inside my legs. Couldn't get them, like, I couldn't play this sat down. I had to delete my virtual body and just have some floating belts and sort of move them out the way a bit from me to be able to reach stuff. That wasn't ideal. But the blasters make very satisfying pew-pew lasers when you're shooting at people. The game picks up speed, it gets better, but, like, its opening tutorial is kind of frustrating because it just doesn't really explain how to do some stuff. Mm. What else? Moss 1 and 2... Uh, these have been out on other VR headsets for a while. These are games about... you got a little tiny mouse that does American Sign Language, and it kind of reminds me of Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker in that it's a bunch of small little diorama environments that you are sort of navigating doing little uh, puzzle platforming. Also, you have a little sword and you do you do combat, and the combat is surprisingly deep for something about a tiny little mouse on an adventure, just like, ah, there's, a, there's an insect, bish bash bosh. Mm-hmm. It is a charming game. Uh, I think it really benefits from, like, being a game set in fixed perspectives that has a narrative where you are in character a big floating entity that only this tiny little mouse can see, and that sort of relationship you have as big glowing human a big human that can sort of like move rocks for them and move things around works very well every little environment feels very polished in its design both mechanically and visually the thing i will say the the psvr2 version has over a lot of other versions is the screen is a high enough quality that you can actually see the tiny little mouse american sign language and not just that mouse is moving its hands i've been told that's asl can't really see it though uh, let's crack a couple more out. Kayak VR Mirage 
is a kayaking game. You've got five places to go kayaking. You can kayak in the day, the night, or sometimes in a storm. I don't fucking recommend the storm setting, because you're on a stormy ocean with waves that are, like, bouncing up and down, and that is a very quick motion sickness factory. Don't do it. The gameplay, fairly minimal. Each area, you can either just go for a nice paddle and go look at the sights. Ooh, there's some penguins up on a big ice floe or something. Or you can do time trial races, uh, sort of kayak races around areas. I don't like the way that it sets up those races, because you see, like, ghost data that you look, you're you trying to race against. And you're only ever shown, like, two or three ghost datas. And that sort of tricks you into thinking, if I see, like, three kayakers in front of me. If I can beat them, I win. I get first place. And you manage it. You, you get over the line ahead of any of the other ghost data. And then you see, congratulations, 413th place, because... It only showed you, like, three ghost datas, but you were racing against the whole world, and, like, you don't even get told you got first place of the kayakers you saw. It's just like, nah, here's how your time compared to every time in the world for this race. Yeah, it's a weird choice. Uh, let's get one more out of the way. Jurassic World Aftermath Collection. This is the only game in this list I'm going to talk about that made me too physically ill to play on two separate occasions, and when I streamed a bunch of this, uh, these VR games yesterday, it's the only one that made the viewers who weren't in the VR headset also feel weirdly motion sick and uh, migrainey watching. It's got a really nice cell shaded art style, but something about that art style like really doesn't gel well with first person. Also, I had to contact the developers. Uh, I don't know if this has been fixed yet, but uh, at least as of yesterday when I last played, one eye. Uh, and this isn't visible, like, if you stream the game, but it's visible in the headset. On your right-hand side, there is a white logo on a black background that incredibly quickly flickers on and off. Oh, and, Jesus. Like, it is a... Like, it's it's just in your periphery on one side directed at one eye, but not the other. It's a real fucking... I don't have photosensitivity concerns. I'm not... Like, I don't have concerns I'm going to have a seizure. That shit made me feel unwell. Yeah. Um. So... Bear that in fucking mind. That is a warning. The devs are aware of it. They're looking into it, but... <sighs> Steph, what have you played this week? <laughs> um. Okay, before I talk about this next game... Yeah? Was Atomic Heart funded by the Kremlin or not? I mean, they will tell you no. <laughs> they will tell you no. They have said no. <laughs> yeah. And the musical composer did donate his entire fee yeah. uh, to the Ukraine um, effort. Um, there's a lot of weird rumours and stuff about that game. Yeah, what I will say is I wouldn't risk anything I wasn't willing to lose on betting that this wasn't developed by the Kremlin. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of connections to high-level people who were involved in organizations related to the Russian state is one Ooh. way to phrase that, right? Yeah, uh, right. The other thing is just the privacy policy concerns alone should give mm. you pause. The uh, The privacy policy you know, basically straight up states that they're going to collect data and that data might be passed to the FSB. Now, I'm not saying that any individual needs to be necessarily worried or more or less worried about the FSB collecting their data. 
But if I know the FSB is collecting data from something, I'm not touching it. That's just me. Yeah. So anyway, I touched Atomic Heart. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm expecting a phone call. Um, It's... It's mostly boring, to be honest. It's a first-person shooter. The trailers made it look, like, super weird and wacky. Yeah. But it is just a very humdrum sort of Bioshock, Prey kind of thing. One of those first-person shooters that are supposed to offer different ways of doing things with all the different gadgets and, and bizarre powers and stuff. But... It's really mundane. I've been playing for hours and I've found nothing. Weapon-wise, I've got an axe, a shotgun, and two pistols, one of which is electric. There are other guns that I keep being teased with when I go on the upgrade uh, screen because it's just a long list of better-looking guns that I don't have resources or the blueprints for. So it's mostly just been sort of hitting things with an axe in a rather dodge-hit-dodge-hit kind of fashion, interspersed with incredibly dull environmental puzzles, if I could even call them that. Uh, Things like, you've got a ball in a tube, and you use your telekinesis to drag it along this maze of tubes to put into a thing, and then you do that three times. And I'm currently, I've just finished a bit where I've got a the old thing of here is a track and you've got to make the thing move along the track and then when it stops it goes on the little turntable thing so you turn it so it goes on the track and let's do that for a really long boring time yeah it's it's boring i don't hate it necessarily it's you know fine when there is combat and stuff but it's not impressive and it's not as weird or intriguing as the trailers made it look also it's fucking annoying people want to talk about the banter in forspoken this is it's forspoken again conceit wise he's got a robot glove he's talking to a freaking cuff (laughs) like it's what he's doing in fact the beginning the glove is insisting that he is called charles and the other guy, the, the protagonist, is insisting on just calling him Glove. It's the same thing! And it's... it's the, the protagonist is, like, endlessly sarcastic and has what I think the writers believe is a witty retort for everything, but it's just... It's just smug condescension, and it's annoying. And he's got a catchphrase, and he is desperately trying to make crispy critters a thing like that's his that's that's the the line that's the t-shirt right there crispy critters like okay he won't stop saying it like and it's not like incidental dialogue there there is no incidental dialogue it's all scripted so his default response to everything is is crit is crispy critters wow it's yeah it's fucking annoying he is detestable as a protagonist um i like the robot designs the early stage ones the sort of menial workers i think they want them to be as creepy as like the working joes from alien isolation they're just sort of rubber-faced men with little black mustaches kind of hitlerian uh, and they just run at you and punch you 
later on you've got like some more interesting robots and strange little people that have been in- infested with some parasite that split their heads open in in several different directions and they look neat but otherwise it really and the controls are weird like to scan the area to go into like detective vision mode or whatever you've got to like hit r1 and then hit it again quickly and then hold it because if you just hold it, you'll do this weird little telekinesis thing, which is used for looting things, which is a neat idea, but you just do it so much it's boring. But if you hold R1, he puts his hand out to do a little telekinesis. And if you sweep your field of view over like drawers and lockers, they all open up and stuff just flies at you. And that's kind of cool. So long as you're looking at a piece of loot first so that you don't just pick up a random chair uh, and then just put it down because there's nothing else to do with it. The upgrades are kind of slow and there's not much to it. However, there are safe rooms. And what was it called? In the safe rooms are little televisions that play clips of a cartoon called New Pagodi, translated to Well Just You Wait which is interesting for me because when I was a kid, I used to watch the fucking shit out of New Pagodi. I didn't know what the fuck it was. It was fucking weird. It was just this weird random Russian cartoon that we just happened to have on VHS. It's about a wolf trying to eat a hare. Basically Tom and Jerry, but a lot more surreal. Okay. And they have little clips of it in every break room. Rabbit, you know, made a rabbit because you said hare and I'm just imagining... It creeping up on you in the night to eat your hair. Oh, I wouldn't want a wolf to eat my hair. Right? I wouldn't want anyone to eat my hair. Do you know how hard it was to grow this shit back? Right? To go from, like, balding to having hair. I, I ain't giving this up, no matter how hungry a wolf is. If a wolf, like, knocks on my <laughs> door and they're like, Oh, please, Stephanie, I'm so hungry, I want to eat your hair. I'd say, no. And- no. And, you can have and, some cheese. And you would then also try to cast them to replace... Chris Pratt in the Mario movie because they're clearly just sounds better, isn't it? Just sounds way better. <laughs> I I don't know why this starring is the hungry wolf going. as I, Mario. I, I thought you were going to suggest replacing Justin Roiland with them. Like that's where my mind went. <laughs> oh, it's a me! Oh, jeez. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, we have a bit of fun, don't we? Oh. I just, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Well Just You Wait. Um, and the wolf, I'm just going to read this little bit. The wolf, commonly transliterated into English as Volk, is initially portrayed as a hooligan who eagerly turns to vandalism, abuses minors, breaks Ooh. laws, and is a smoker. Now, first of all, I'd have led uh-huh. with the smoking. <laughs> abuses minors! Ooh. Uh, I mean the the link they they actually link through um to the wiki page on physical abuse. So I'm assuming he just smacks them because I don't remember anything anything else. Um, but yeah, uh, it was just a weird thing to see New Pagodi, um, playing in random safe rooms, annoyingly muted. You can't just do like in the darkness or something, um, and watch entire episodes of new pagodi because if i could i'd be a lot more complimentary about the game because (laughs) i would have done nothing but watch new pagodi um oh i for years before i 
I could barely remember anything about that cartoon and didn't know what it was called or anything. But like years after, well into an adulthood, whenever like something happened that I regretted or was annoyed by, I would go, mm, Mortis! Like that, because that's what the wolf does when he gets annoyed, when he can't eat the hair. He goes, oh, Mortis! Like that. Um... It's just a random fact about me, everyone. Uh, well. Yeah, New Pagodi. Um, interesting what? cartoon. <laughs> That's Atomic Heart. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. Conrad, no. did you play anything no. else this no. week? Or? No? no. Okay, cool. I'm going to rattle through some more VR games because I still, I've got games after the VR ones. This is still the VR Jesus. segment. Ah, um, I played Cities VR. It's City Skylines, but it's in VR. But it's exactly what you'd... Yeah, it's exactly what you'd imagine it to be. You're floating up in the sky doing City Skylines, but if you want, you can go down to city level and be like, ah, oh, I'm a person size, and that's a house, and that's a fire hydrant, and everything is the size it should be, because I'm a person. Ooh, now I'll float up in the sky, I'm doing City Skylines. It It is exactly what you think it would be, and if you have opinions about City Skylines, this is not going to change those opinions one way or the other. It's in VR. Gran Turismo 7. Um, Gran Turismo 7 has an interesting implementation of VR in that I downloaded the VR update for this game and thought it wasn't working. Because one of the things you can do in the PSVR 2 is you can have like a big virtual flat screen to play non-VR games on in the headset the only real use cases for this are I want a bigger screen than my TV or I want to play a 120 FPS game, but my TV doesn't have 120 FPS support and I want to play my 2D game in 120 FPS. But Gran Turismo 7 just boots up on a on a flat screen like that when the headset's on. And I'm like, okay, do I have to like find VR mode in a setting somewhere? No. While you're navigating most of like the menus and things, it it's just a two D game, and then when you start a race, you'll watch like you know the zoom around of the uh, the track and whatnot on a two D screen, and then suddenly you're in the car, which is a little jarring at first. The first time it happens, where you're just looking at a TV screen, and then suddenly you're in the car, it threw me a bit. But I was actually really impressed with the VR mode in this. This was high on the list of things I thought would make me feel motion sick because it's going very, very fast, doing lots of very fast turns in a vehicle. No, really wasn't the case. I played several races back-to-back -back, uh, completely fine. I'm not usually a person that likes uh, in-the-car view in racing games. I feel totally different in VR. I don't think it's necessarily anything specific about this game, but being able to glance around to like look in the wing mirrors quickly or uh, or things like that makes a big difference to... The fact I have more peripheral vision and the ability to like very quickly make little glances at things makes me feel a lot more comfortable with that view. I enjoyed I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the thing that is weird about it is you have like a fake virtual body, uh, you know, in the car turning the steering wheel, which is fine if you're like looking forward like a normal person. If you just really crane your head down to try and look at your body as much as you can you will realise that what you are puppeting is essentially a meat suit with no stuffing. Oh, fuck um, daddy. Because, like, I don't know how better to explain. Your arms, if you look, like, real look down at them, 
look like just empty sleeves. They look like fabric with nothing in them. Your torso looks like it is a shirt that is not being held up by any torso being inside. It's weird. You're clearly not meant to look at it too much. Yes, um, you are. All of this is my kink. Yeah. It's not a thing you will ever notice during regular gameplay, but once I noticed it, I couldn't stop looking down and going, look at my... Because, like, the hands in the gloves on the steering wheel look like they have hands in them. But, like, you get maybe halfway down the arm. You get getting towards where the elbows are, and it starts just looking more and more like they're just empty fabric, and it's weird. <laughs> um... And I think the last VR game that I played on the big list, and I still have more showing up, since since starting recording this episode today, I've received three more review codes for launch titles. Uh, the last game I played was one called Atelier Breaker, which is a first-person online co-op dungeon crawler, where you uh, you have a sword and a shield, and they're a big like, ten-foot-tall robot enemies in various environments, and you load in with, like, th two or three other real human beings in VR headsets, and you, as a group, go and open treasure chests and beat up these robot enemies, and if one of your team's knocked down, you revive them, and eventually you open some chests and get some loot and teleport to the next place. Um, I expected this to make me feel... This is another one that I expected me to feel more ill-playing than I did. It does all the things that have previously made me feel ill in VR, and I kind of did alright with this one. Uh, the only options for movement are moving around with the analog stick. You can't, like, teleport around or anything. Uh, it has a lot of mechanics like flying a hang glider to get across gaps. Things that should have made me feel much more ill than they did. Uh, there's really not much to it other than... I have a sword and a shield, I'm going to hit stuff and try and block shots. Uh, that that really is the extent of it. I was kind of impressed at how well it used... Um, it used eye tracking for um, locking onto enemies. Like, if you swung your sword from the ground upwards, you could knock an enemy into the air and then look at it to lock onto it and dash up to it and start slashing it in the air, which felt pretty cool. Um, there is no setting to matchmake by language, which is tricky because voice chat is on by default and the game kind of wants you to be chatting with your party while you go on these dungeon crawls, but there is no way to say, I, I only speak English, I'm only going to be helpful if you matchmake me with other people I share a language with. Um, that's all the VR games. <sighs> I've spent like four days straight in VR. Steph, have you played anything else this week? Um, the only other thing I sort of played was I, I believe I'm on the last level of Wanted Dead, and I don't think I'm ever going to beat it. Um, the biggest issue that game has is it has no balance, no gameplay balance, and I am the checkpoints are so far apart now, like ridiculously far apart. And between them are an endless, like just a slew of mini boss level enemies. And there's not enough ammo because enemies so infrequently drop guns that you can pick up and they so frequently drop ammo at all. All my resources are gone and I keep reaching a ninja who just like combos me to death. Like, just enemy after enemy that can take half your health bar in a hit. And they decided that they would also not include the squad member who can bring you back from death once per checkpoint. 
so the resuscitation isn't there either. So I've got essentially half the life uh, that I would have had in normal levels. It's just, I don't think I can beat it. I'm sure there are people who can, but I don't think I can. It's wild. And it's a shame because I have a weird love for this game. A weird love. It's not quite as committed and weird as like a Deadly Premonition or even a Yakuza, but it is strange enough and the hack and slash shooting stuff is of such a decent quality as a throwback to sort of mid-tier 360 games. God, I, I'm I'm rooting for it, but far too many sections have just been complete genuine bullshit and this last level is is fuck it is ridiculous if it was 30 bucks as well that's the thing it's 60 dollars everything about it screams budget game except the price this is like pure budget game fodder and they've made it full price and it's it ain't that but my god what a what an interesting game it's been i'm working on the review for it now um that will go up on the the website um it's simultaneously so easy and so hard to describe. But yeah, Wanted Dead, yeah, I really want to love it, but I don't think I'm ever going to beat it. Sadly. Yeah. Uh, before we finish uh, up on, on played games, um, I've got another segment of Laura's Playdate Corner. Oh, that must be nice. Uh, that is nice. Oh! Yeah. Uh, we're, we're coming up toward the end of it. There's... um. This week, and then there's going to be two more weeks. I've got four oh. more games after this. That's and then a shame. That, I that saw someone. Is done. I saw someone comment that um, their favourite bit of Podquisition recently has been the uh, the must be nice banter. <laughs> so we've got two more weeks of of things being nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. Here's the thing. I can keep it going because people have made their own playdate games that are available on like itch to yeah. download. So I might just like pick a couple of those every week to start downloading and playing, so we can keep it. Keep it rolling. Yeah. So you'll you'll download those. Yeah. And then you'll play those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that must be nice. Oh, it will be nice. <laughs> what what have um, you done this week? So this week I played two games. One called Snack S N A K, and the other one called Sasquatchers. Uh, we'll start with Snack, which can have as many A's in the middle of it as you want, depending on difficulty. It it is Snake. The, the game off of the mobile, uh-huh. but with a couple of little twists. First of all, you know in, in Snake, you, you know, you're trying not to hit the walls, you're trying not to accidentally eat your own tail or whatever, trying to eat the little circular things to get longer. What if the things you were trying to eat were also moving? Your things you're trying to consume are little angry apples that are moving in a straight line, doing little bites. So the target you're aiming for is moving, and you've got to kind of account for that. Also, if you accidentally get bitten by one of these apples, they will start eating their way up you from wherever they touch you towards your head. And if they reach your head, that is a game over. There are a couple of other mechanics. You can make the the front of your snake jump. So if you are about to hit your own tail and there is room on the other side, you can jump over yourself, which is great. But also, you can try and squash the apples that are eating their way up you. By jumping over that section of your snake body that has the apple on it to crush them and prevent them getting to your head. So it is snake, if the targets you're trying to eat were moving, and sometimes you got infected because one of them bit you, and you had to, like, jump over a specific segment of your own moving body to prevent that. Huh. Yeah, it is... 
it's it's one of this category that there's been a few of on Playdate, which is game you know really well from decades ago that is like very tried and true that we added a few little tweaks or extra mechanics to, and it's just that, but we did some changes to it. I really dig it. It's not terribly well explained at first. Um, It took me a while to realise I could jump over myself to squash the apples that had bitten me. But doing so is really tricky, and I think the balancing act is that, like, it is very difficult to jump over a specific part of your own snake body that you are moving, and it itself is moving, and you have to work out, like, when they're gonna line up together. It is not an easy thing to stop yourself taking that damage, and I think that the reward versus the challenge to do it is pretty well balanced. The one that's a more in-depth game uh, to talk about this week is Sasquatchers, which is a top-down grid-based strategy game where you play three people who are part of a cryptid hunting YouTube channel, like monster hunting influencers. Okay. And you are you are basically going into the woods to try and get photos of Sasquatches. Hmm. Hmm. Your little team of three people have different abilities between their characters. Um You've got the sort of big burly muscle who can draw aggro and sort of bring the, uh, like, take the attention away from other characters. They can also stun and daze the Sasquatches for a turn. But if you get a picture of a dazed Sasquatch, it's not worth as much money as a picture of one that is still active and moving around. You've got the TV host, uh, who has abilities like turning on their camera phone light to see a little bit into the fog of war. They can take selfies uh, with their big stupid grin taking up half the frame trying to get a selfie with the with the Sasquatch. Uh, and you've got the intended photographer who can track any Sasquatch that's currently in view. So if it like goes back into the fog of war, you can tell where it's gone. Uh, can get good pictures, ideally of the Sasquatch uh, with other members of the, the crew. You get more points and more money if like you get the presenter in shot with the Sasquatch. There's a few really neat little mechanics that I think have been pretty well thought through. Uh, Most notably, you can move and do actions with each character each turn, but the order that you do your movement, like when in the turn you do your movement, will have impact. Most notably, if at the start of your turn the first thing you do while stood stationary is take a picture, that picture will be clear and in focus and steady. But if you, like, move and then take the picture, that is contextualised as you running and hurrying to get the shot, the shot will be more blurry and more, like, sort of shaky. So it's easier to, like, use your movement to get in a good position where you're framed right and take the picture. But the tricky thing is to line yourself up in a position where next turn you will still be in a good position to get the shot. I have really enjoyed, like, the sense of humour to it. There is enough variation between the the trio of characters and the sort of abilities they start developing to differentiate them out from each other. Where I'm at in the game so far, all of the cryptids I've been hunting is like various Sasquatches. They've given them all like enough unique personality to make them stand out from each other, be that an emotion that's uh, or a facial expression they've got going on their face or something, or the way they behave. It is a neat little idea and a fun use of a set of mechanics that are all too often used for combat explicitly. The main thing you use the crank for is for like rotating around in a circle to like find the shot, because like you're on a you're on a static grid top-down view when you go to take a picture, you use the crank to like turn around and find the angle you want to take the shot from. So yeah, that's that's this this week's Playdate games. They've both been pretty fun. Oh. 
Yeah. Is that everything we've played? <laughs> uh, I I think I'm tapped out. Yeah, I think that's I, it. I, I think I'm tapped out as well. Well, should we crack through yes. some uh, some news stories quickly? Let's do it. Got a couple of those. Um. Microsoft and Nintendo have now signed a 10-year agreement to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo consoles, assuming that the Activision Blizzard King uh, purchase goes through. That That is now legally in, in writing. 10 years of Call of Duty on, on Nintendo. This seems like it is part of a very active publicity step from Microsoft to try and sell to the European regulators specifically that this is not a move to make a monopoly. Yeah. Because it comes alongside the news as well, and these both sort of came out in the same press conference that Microsoft held, that Microsoft has signed a deal with NVIDIA to have all PC Xbox games uh, appear on GeForce Now, their streaming service, if Call of Duty, uh, if Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard. And Microsoft's really been hammering home on the the NVIDIA one in particular. They're like, oh, well, that's uh, there's 150 million people that could theoretically access GeForce Now that might not today be able to play Call of Duty. So that's 150 million extra people who can play Call of Duty. So we can't be being a monopoly if we're letting 150 million more people play Call of Duty, can we? Uh, I... Yeah. I, I, I'm serious. I think this is about King ultimately, and that and there's just well, no way to make the deal work where they get just King, and so they need Call of Duty also. I'd have agreed with you until this week. We do have a news story that honestly makes me think maybe differently. So, like jumping path quickly. Um, Microsoft apparently sees no path forward with this deal if they don't get to purchase Activision and Call of Duty as part of it. Apparently it is a non-starter, like they wouldn't they wouldn't do this deal if it doesn't include them. I don't think those things are incompatible though. Like I think they recognize that the deal is not possible where Activision Blizzard as a company is concerned to have it go through without <sighs> Call of Duty. Yeah. Microsoft on their side, again, who knows whether what they're saying is accurate. Like, they might be taking the heat for this, but I think I think that that would be the position of Activision Blizzard. Yeah, yeah, because this we, we talked the other week about the fact that the UK's um, regulatory agency was suggesting, hey, what if you sold off Call of Duty or sold off uh, Activision Blizzard and made the purchase without them? According to Brad Smith from Microsoft has said... <laughs> Sorry, that is such a Microsoft name. <laughs> right. Uh, has said that um, Microsoft don't see a viable path to a deal where Call of Duty was owned, is owned by someone else. We don't see a viable path to sell the Activision Studios or Call of Duty to someone else. If you're the CMA in the UK, you're probably going to want to make a decision. Do you want to kill a deal and cement Sony's position in its 80% share in the EU or 70% share globally in a market where it's been a super dominant company for 20 years? Or do you want to let the future go forward with behavioural guardrails and remedies and bring I mean, this title to 150 frankly, million more people? Frankly, I think that they are probably right in the sense that who could buy it? Yeah. Like, truly, who could buy it? I mean, I would love to see the world in which Sony's like, yeah, we'll buy it. <laughs> no, so, Sony, no, that, that's not, no, but then I you know. were going to wind up in the same. Tencent? Was Tencent going to buy it? I'll have it. <laughs> I'll pick it up. 
<laughs> like, yeah, well, is the U.S. government going to allow Tencent to buy Call of Duty? Like, yeah. a very powerful Defense Department propaganda tool. <laughs> no. Yeah. Nobody else can buy this thing. So, yeah, it's off the table. Again, it's more bolstering from Microsoft being like, oh, poor us, oh, we, oh, they're so much better than us and we're trying so hard, just let us, let us buy it. Here we go again, this is another problem with capitalism. We've determined that this shit is too valuable to be moved out of the fucking mire it's in. Amazing. Yep. Another sort of tangentially related Activision Blizzard story, um... There has been a lot of Blizzard internal strife going on um, after a disastrous company-wide meeting uh, to discuss an internal employee satisfaction survey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Mike Yabara from, uh, from Blizzard was asked several pre-screened questions uh, about things like stack ranking for employee performance, which we talked about the other week. That's the only X percentage of workers can actually get whatever bonus, and like a certain number of people have to be given a bad rating no matter how they actually did. The slashing of profit share bonuses for 2022. The announcement that employees would be required to return to working in, in, in the office rather than work from home. <sighs> yeah, so the things we, we learned that like the workers are upset about is that... Um, Blizzard is slashing their profit share bonuses by 58% across the company. This is obviously going to hurt less financially well-off uh, employees more than, you know, the, the higher-ups, because if you have less money, a lower bonus will hit you harder, obviously. To which Mike Yabara apparently commented, paraphrased, If you think that executives are making a lot of money, and you aren't, you're living in a myth. You can see why that didn't go over well. Yeah. Oh, everyone's everyone's taking a a a, a profit share cut. So like, oh, don't think that the executives have are making lots of money and you're not. Um. Pretty gross. Yeah. Pretty gross. It's, it's yeah. It's all it's all a bit uh gross. Um. Yabara also basically seemed to underhandedly suggest, like, hey, if you don't like that we're making you come back into the office, fucking quit. Um, <laughs> I, I paraphrase there, but that's essentially what he was getting at. I mean, it worked out really well for Elon when he pulled that, so... Yeah. Why not give it a go? His response was, at the end of the day, we want people to be happy, and if decisions about being happy don't align with where we're going, and you won't be happy, then you'll have to do what will make you happy. Uh, you know, what it's funny that they are doing this at a time when we are seeing significant layoffs industry-wide. And it's mm. almost as if they don't want to pay out severance packages. Oh! Yeah, yeah. I just love how yeah. after everything, I mean, love in the ironic sense, after everything, they just won't stop being them. They won't even pretend to stop being them. They are yeah. still just as openly contemptuous of their employees as they were before. Oh, they are sure. still as openly corrupt as ever. And I guess why, why be surprised at that when no one will hold them to account? No one. They've got no reason. Same with Ubisoft. No, they've got no reason to even pretend to change 
Because so long as they make games that people want to play, no one cares. Yeah. It's disgusting. No one cares. <sighs> we have a couple of stories that aren't about Activision Blizzard and Microsoft to finish that's, on today, at least. That's a nice change of pace. Yeah. Um... Hey, you know how Nintendo's got, like, a real big problem with all their stuff, like, constantly leaking way ahead of release? Yeah, like, all, I mean, everything digitally leaks way in advance yeah, yeah. these days now. But I'm sure I'm sure when it comes to their physical stuff, they've got it locked down. Wow, you, it's funny you say that. It's what? funny you say that. Um, yeah, so uh, Breath of the Wild sequel, Tears of the Kingdom, is coming out in May, so, like, three months away-ish. Uh... Yeah, that game's collector's edition uh, art book has leaked in its entirety in high quality. Uh, scans of all 200 pages of the art book, um, which I looked at it enough to go, yeah, that's definitely a legitimate thing that happened. Um, I've not looked at it in any depth, but apparently there's a lot of stuff in there that has not been shown in any trailers that is just floating around the internet because someone got an art book and just sat making high-quality scans of it. Nintendo's really not on top of any of this. I don't know what they've got going on with them right now. The only thing, like, completely spoiler-free I have heard is apparently there is a lot in there to suggest that there's a lot of new content and that Nintendo is deliberately not showing their hand that there's a lot of new stuff in this, so cool, that's good. But the leaky ship continues to leak... And lastly, are either of you aware of the um the Vulva situation in The Witcher Three? Uh, not in The Witcher Three, specifically. Yeah. In, of all the Vulva situations that have been on my radar, um, but no, not that one in particular. Okay, so this was a story that started a little while ago, and I didn't, uh, I can't remember why I didn't bring it up at the time uh, when it first came up. So this popped up la- about a week ago. The Witcher 3 has, like, an HD, like, next-gen patch that released a while ago. Um, it accidentally included realistic vaginas on several monsters. <laughs> several Brilliant. monsters just had, like, hyper-detailed, very realistic vaginas on them. Okay. At the time, uh, the the studio basically said, uh, the next-gen version of The Witcher 3 features several community-sourced mods not created by CD Projekt Red um, on top of enhancements created and implemented by the studio. Merging everything together was a complex process, and the textures in question are an unintended result present in the release version. This is something we're working to address. Um, so yeah, the, the thing here is these monsters had, like, visible labia and pubic hair. Like, this was... This was like real specific detailed people made custom custom monster vaginas. Uh and they've they've just been in there for a while. Just hanging out. Brilliant. Brilliant. The update this week is um CD Project Red has stated that their commitment to removing these vulva textures is not intended as a statement against nudity or mature themes. Oh for God's sake. They're so scared of the gamers, TM. They are so fucking scared that there'll be a controversy about censorship of a fucking griffin cunt. Yeah, they want to make it really clear they're not getting rid of the griffin's vagina because, like, they hate vaginas or something. We also got some updates on how this made it into the game. 
People initially assumed that these monster vaginas came from a mod called Vaginas for Everyone, which, you know, it would make sense, a mod called Vaginas for Everyone was the source. But no. Let me read the, the statement. As was understood by CD Projekt Red until very recently, the vulva textures in question were a part of the HD Monsters Reworked mod, and not the Vaginas for Everyone mod. Um... Yep. Christ. They've made it clear that they are removing the vaginas for purposes of visual coherence and for no other reason. It was not intended as a statement against nudity or mature themes, but rather an attempt to maintain visual coherence across all character models. Including these textures in the game was not something we planned from the start. <laughs> oh. Brilliant. So yeah, you, you, you're running out of time if you want to go look at Griffin... A Griffin Gash. And <laughs> I do. Very li limited time left to do that. I cannot confirm which monsters do or do not have ultra realistic vaginas, but like, if you want to go hunting for them, your time's running low. I mean, as long as I get a good look at a drown amount, I am happy. <laughs> oh, so that's that's the end of video game news this week. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry I, guess... I didn't let you know last week about the vaginas. Oh, I'm just better late than never, you know? I don't think it's ever too late. Well, and now we get resolution. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We get the full, you know, climax of the story. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. <laughs> right, yes. Um, <laughs> Laura. Yeah. I know that you have done many things. I have done many things. You've not sculpted a JJ on a, a, I couldn't think of a monster vampire but you have done other things can we hear about them please I mean yeah you can find all the stuff I do at Laura K Buzz basically everywhere on the internet uh, Laura K Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube TikTok, Patreon that's the one that pays the bills uh, if you can chuck a dollar a month or more over there it really helps to keep, keep the lights on and keep doing this uh, Who Hunts the Whale, released uh, last week. It is a novel I wrote with my wife about the video game industry and uh, how capitalism, in, in in this purely fictional company, mind you, mm -hmm. is the source of a whole load of problems that people don't like about video games today, and ultimately it does all like boil down to capitalism being terrible for art as a medium. If you have opinions like that and want to read a, uh, a fictional book that's very fictional, Who Hunts the Whale, it's out now. Go go give it a read. Conrad, what about you? Oh, Where are you on the internet? You can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can hear me talking about snacks on Let's Talk About Snacks. And uh, please check out Red Planet, which is a show that I produce with four lovely people all about how we make the world a better place. It's on Twitch. It's on YouTube. It is a podcast, and you can find it at redplanetshow.com. Um, you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com, but maybe wait a couple weeks, and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Aye, aye. <sighs> 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Um, do feel free to check out our latest video, the under 800,000 subscriber special. Yes, we hit that milestone. Uh, let us hurtle ourselves now towards the 700k mark. Um, quality episode, good episode. Um, I'm pretty proud of it. I handled the main edit myself and I'm pretty pleased with that. And then Phoenix did the uh, graphics um on it which were amazing um and it was just a good episode you know we had yeah. ashen simon miller uh lilith walther we had all sorts of uh celebrity special guests come on um it was a it's a laugh our, our beautiful to be honest. boy our beautiful our beautiful boy, boy jonathan oh. who as as usual pushed the boat out um J- jonathan has a real skill for <laughs> Wait, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> oh, you've circled back and this is perfect. You knew, you knew where you were going right from the start. Matt's mm. a natural storyteller. Yeah. Really is. Just just a glorious boy. Um, so yeah, do check that out. Um, you can also see me stream. I've been very spotty with streams. I try and do Mondays and Wednesdays about 7pm UK time and then sometimes at weekends. I know I've been super spotty. Um, but it's Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Uh, current wrestling dates. Um, I've still only got the main two confirmed um, that I can speak about. I've got an amazing one in August I can't talk about yet. But March 18th in Blackpool. That's PCW. They'll be at the Flamingos um, venue. Uh, That is the Women's Road to Glory tournament. That is the first women's tournament that I've ever been a part of. Um, I've been wanting to do women's division wrestling uh, this year. I'm really excited about it. Something tells me it's just going to be just a momentous night. So if you can make it to Blackpool on Sunday the 18th, I really recommend it. really feels like one to go to if you can make one. Absolutely. Um, And if you can't make it to Blackpool, but you can make it to Leeds, there is another brilliant night. March 25th, Leeds, Commander Sterling versus Priscilla, Queen of the Ring for True Grit. Uh, I think they're at the left bank. Uh, venue again in Leeds a beautiful venue converted from a church looks gorgeous um, so those are the main dates I don't think my other dates are public yet so March 18th Blackpool PCW March 25th Leeds True Grit um, that's that uh, we will see you next week um, yeah I've got a, a homunculus to goad in the basement and I will <laughs> uh, convene with the lovely Laura the lovely Conrad uh, another time so thank you all for supporting D- seriously thank you all for supporting yes, especially thank lately you. um thank you so yeah. much and uh, we will see you next week bye bye, bye.